0: Welcome to episode 267 of Destination Linux, whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of Sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael. I'm Ryan.
1: And I'm Jill.
0: And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be discussing specialty distros and the role that they play in the Linux ecosystem. Are specialty distros a good thing or should they not exist? Then we're going to take a look at some interesting Intel news. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, software picks, all this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux.
2: This week in our community feedback, we got an email from Velen who writes us to say, I'm confused. I thought the kernel determines hardware support. KDE Neon 5.23 included Linux 5.11 on the ISO, which is the kernel compatible with my hardware according to linuxhardware.org. Would Kubuntu 20.04 use hardware enablement so that my devices work with the newer kernel? As for reinstalling fresh, that is my only option. Otherwise, I would have the same problem where after booting, the desktop will not load. There is only a black screen. If the desktop does load, then the system would become unstable. For an example, the mouse may move extremely slow. This means they have to press the restart button on the case. I've been reinstalling the OS for months now since October of 2021. That's got to be frustrating. Mm -hmm. I appreciate all of your help. So, Michael, let's start with you. What do you think is causing this regarding the kernel and KDE Neon issue that he's having?
0: So this, there's multiple facets of what could be causing this. I mean, there could be actual hardware issues. There could be some uh, the distribution issues. There could be all sorts of stuff. Um, in terms of hardware enablement, that is something that's important that is not available on many of the LTS different distributions. I'm not sure exactly what Neon does in terms of hardware enablement. I think they do update some things, but I'm not sure what exactly. But it's more important that I wanted to talk about with this is that KDE Neon is not really intended to be used by anyone outside of developers, especially with KDE developers and that sort of thing. Now, if you go to their website, they have a download section that has these different editions. There's the the unstable developer testing editions, and there's also a user edition. So the user edition says ideal for everyday users. But at the same time, if you go to their frequently asked questions, it will then say, what is KDE Neon? They say it's a rapidly updated software repository. And then there's a follow-up to that says, is it a distro? Not quite. It's a package archive with the latest KDE software on top of a stable base. While we have installable images, unlike full Linux distributions, we only we are only interested in the KDE software. So it's okay for everyday users, and then also it's not a distro and that they only care about this one specific thing. That's kind of mm. confusing, right? So yeah. to me it feels more like a developer testing grounds for people who want to see what's the what's happening the latest and greatest inside of plasma before it gets to their regular distribution so they can load it up in a in a live USB and then play around and see what's happening rather than, you know, being using it as a day-to-day. So possibly it might be that KDE Neon is the issue because they're not really focused. Not to say they don't care necessarily, but they're only interested in the KDE software, as they say. So maybe they're not really paying attention to the hardware aspects of, of the updates. They're just going through the process of updating them, but not doing the testing part for that particular piece, which is one of the reasons I suggest people not to use KDE Neon because it's more along the lines of GNOME OS where it's meant to you know beta test or develop from it rather than actually use it day-to-day.
2: I think that's a really good point. And what distro would you recommend for them? They mentioned Kubuntu in there. I mean, that's a good KDE experience for sure. If they're interested
0: in using Plasma, for sure, uh, Kubuntu is a great option. I mean, with the 2004, you do get uh, hardware updates. They will take a significant amount of time to get the hardware updates inside of 2004 LTS. So for example well there was 4 months delay between 2110 and the current version of the LTS that came out with the 2004.4 or something like that that was the one that brought in the kernel the hardware enablement from 2010 but in it's still it's not really 4 months because it took 6 months to get that version out for 2110 so there's like a 10 month delay of getting hardware updates for any of the Ubuntu family, and that's not to say that you necessarily need it. If your hardware is good with the installation of Kubuntu, then it doesn't matter; you're fine. But if you need more up to date hardware, there are other distributions that do it faster, like Fedora, KDE, or OpenSUSE. Will di- right. tumbleweed
2: will yeah. give you? I think that's quicker part access. of the problem here. You know, the there's a big belief that everybody should be starting out with an Ubuntu base. And the problem with that is they're probably one of the slowest, if not the slowest, with hardware enablement. So, what you get is people who have old machines and are coming to try Linux for the first time. Great, because we haven't—they don't have any hardware enablement necessary. But if you have a new machine you just bought and you want to come to Linux with it, you're probably going to have potentially a terrible experience if you have anything that's newer than uh, in the last that came out in the last year, for instance, like a yeah. GPU and those type of things. So that's why I would recommend more people look at things like Pop!OS, number one, if you want an Ubuntu base, because Pop!OS is one of the few that actually do roll hardware enablements more frequently in Ubuntu base. Uh, Number two would be to go to something if you have newer hardware that's more on a rolling base. Uh, If you're not new, Arch, uh, if you're new, then look at Fedora Hmm. or OpenSUSE. Um, But I also want to mention, just because it says kernel 5.11 doesn't mean that it has all the features of 5.11. And this is something that people also, I think, get confused with. There's separate pieces of hardware enablement. Some of it's built into the kernel. Some of it's separate. For instance, they may have the most recent kernel, but have a older version of Mesa drivers and things that are bundled with it. And there's also customization on top of that to these kernels. Not all kernels are made the same. So they customize those slightly. Michael, you know more about this than me, but... Not every kernel, just because it's five point one one, is exactly the same in every single
0: Yeah, distro. You're totally right. There are some differences. They make different patches. They impl- They they purposely include some features and they also remove some other things depending on what the the kind of modules they want to imp- to provide. So not all of the distributions are going to have the same setup of what is available in the kernel, even if they have the same version number. That's why you'll typically see the kernel number in the versioning of the package will have like an indicator of it's a slightly different version based on the distribution itself.
1: In the Ubuntu family, uh, Pop! OS is an excellent option. But if, if you went uh, Kubuntu, I actually recommend the 21.10 Impish Injury release. Because there's a a whole lot of updates in that version because it is the latest of the Mm -hmm. Ubuntu series. And also, like uh, Ryan and Michael were saying, uh, Manjaro KDE Plasma, Fedora 35 KDE Plasma, or OpenSUSE KDE Plasma are good options as well.
0: Yeah, I think that and for my purpose of like someone who's a beginner I would still avoid anything Arch based so if I was going to say if they want KDE Plasma and that's the DE they have chosen and they're beginners to Linux then Kubuntu 21.10 or Fedora 35 are the options I would go with Uh, the Kubuntu 21.10 is a great suggestion you're like instead of going to the LTS version go to that one because you also get newer versions of Plasma and one of the coolest things about Plasma is that it's constantly getting better like they make new releases every four months or so so there's always new uh, features and improvements and bug fixes and polish and stuff like that so getting newer versions of plasma is valuable to do and with if you get Kubuntu, you're gonna have a little bit of delay you're like fedora gets them much faster within like a couple of weeks or so but Kubuntu still gets them relatively quicker in terms of like maybe a month or two but it means that you'll be able to do the every six months and just continuously update the core system rather than sticking to the LTS and trying to go into LTS to LTS, mm-hmm. because that can also be kind of a mess depending on what changes you've made and things like that, because there's such a drastic difference between the, the packages in the LTS from the next LTS is a lot easier to go for the six month thing. So if, if someone wanted to use Kubuntu, I would just say go the six month route and just update every six months to the new 2110, 2204,
2: et cetera.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you also get the nice uh, 5.13 kernel.
2: Great for servers, not so great for cutting edge equipment. Yeah. That's my thoughts on it, anyways. But great email. Sorry you're having to deal with that, number one. That's very frustrating. Um, but hopefully, if you take some of this advice, maybe not look at KDE Neon, look at something that has a little more uh, current with the hardware enablement and a newer kernel, these issues will go away. But if it doesn't, then send us an email with your system specs because I'd be interested to know what GPU and CPU and things that you have. And that may be able to help us direct you a little bit better. But we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, (laughs) sit down on your nearest stool or if you're an adult, sit in a chair and send an email to comments at (laughs) destinationlinux.org. Michael, I saw you look down at the edit button when I said, if you're an adult, get a chair you better not edit this out in post okay for, when for i the, say that i'm trying to help people so that adults don't end up getting embarrassed by sitting in stools.
0: for those who are wondering about this he's talking about the edit notes well i have this keyboard over here that i use for yeah. doing production <laughs> for the show and in that keyboard i have some features to be able to make edit notes for later so that i can change it and remove things that ryan says ridiculously and that is one example that i will you be better removing
2: not have clicked that button <laughs> I better not see a timestamp in there for this. Uh, But if you want to join in the community discussion, you can also go to our DLN community forum by going Mm -hmm. to DLNforum.com. There, you can post screenshots of the moment Michael looks down to hit the edit button and see if we can catch him red-handed. Also, something I think you should catch is the
0: sponsor of this episode, and that is DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex. But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure, it doesn't really have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. You get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one person to teams of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can grow at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving away $100 free credit when you sign up at slash tux 2022 That's slash 2022 2022. We changed the URL. You might have noticed that. It's very important that you use that one going forward. And just to reference, this is the name of the Linux penguin mascot, Tux. So there you go. And again, go to do.co slash Tux 2022 to get your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. There's this question making its way around the underground of Linux. And no, it's not what is the underground of Linux? <laughs> that is a topic for another day, a day when I have an answer for that question. The The question on the minds of many right now, especially lately, is whether or not specialty Linux distros are a good thing. There's all kinds of specialty distros, from embedded systems to gaming center distros, to appliance distributions that are made for particular purposes or use cases. We even have a new specialty distro that is coming from the Steam Deck with the Steam OS. If you look around the ecosystem of Linux, there are hundreds of distros, and the majority of these tend to be specialty distros. So we thought it'd be a good topic to bring onto the show, and we also want to get a community's opinion, so we created a topic on the DLN forum, so if you'd like to provide your opinion, we'll have that linked in the show notes. But I think this is a really interesting topic to discuss.
2: I think to set the stage, there are, and and I've seen this more and more out there online, there are people who think that specialty distros are getting in the way of Linux growth. Um, Their question is, should we have specialty distros or should these creators of specialty distros instead be focusing their time on adding these features that made them want to go create the specialty distro to the distros that are upstream like Fedora or Ubuntu or Arch or OpenSUSE? And the argument that they make in a nutshell, and there's much more to it, but the essence of it is that if foundational distros are doing their job right, so again, talking about the Fedora, Ubuntu, Arch, Debian's those things, then there would be no need for these specialty distros. For instance, distros that may provide additional drivers or special packages or GUIs or hardware enablement like we talked about in, with the email. These distros, as the argument goes, shouldn't need to exist if these other distros were doing what they were supposed to correctly. So essentially they're saying the reason why we have these specialty distros is because there is a failure in the core distros out there to provide something or to provide a way to get these specialty features in an easy enough manner that people could use them without having to create one. So Jill, I'm not gonna take a side (laughs) in this yet, but what do you think?
1: All the specialty distros are so needed by the community. For one, they bring innovation to the mainline distros by including tweaks and features that the developers and community went in their mainline distributions. These features are sometimes later integrated into the mainline Linux distributions, such as with the Corora project for instance, which was originally based on Gentoo 2 Linux in 2005. And it was then reborn in 2010 as a Fedora remix with lots of cool tweaks and extras. And Corora focused on providing out of, an out-of-the-box experience to Fedora users by bundling media codecs and proprietary software on top of Fedora. And unfortunately, the Corora Linux project was discontinued in May of 2018, but all of those uh, features that were spearheaded by karora were then included in fedora 28
0: i think that karora is a good example of a specialty distro that had a really interesting purpose and accomplished that purpose of filling gaps where other distribution the other distribution had and i think it's really interesting because karora is such a good example because it's a specialty distro that kind of did the comp- the the idea of create uh, you see a problem fix it and then merge it into the thing that you built the, the distro based on. Mm -hmm. So with the whole that it's, I don't really think it's that unfortunate that uh, Corora discontinued in, in 2019, 2018, because the reason it discontinued is because all the value that was created for Corora was part brought into into Fedora. Yeah. So you have the benefit of creating this, this specialty distro derivative and then taking the value and putting it back into the main system. And I think there are some still some potential value that Corora, if they wanted to come back, there would be some gaps to fix here and there. But I do think that w- it was a good example of a specialty distro that saw a problem, fixed the problem, brought it into the main distro core. I think that's a great approach for doing specialty distros.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another good example is, is uh, OpenSUSE. SUSE. It's a community project that is upstream and downstream to SUSE Enterprise Linux, and they brought tools such as Yast, Open Build System, Open QA, Snapper, and a ton more to SUSE Linux Enterprise. So that give and take, back and forth, is very important because a lot of it's coming. It comes from the community-based distro, sure. <laughs>
0: right. I, yeah. I I think that there's some, there's yeah. a lot of interesting stuff with um, with OpenSUSE and SUSE. They are very they're very interesting. For those who don't know, the way yeah. it works is OpenSUSE is the upstream. Which means that it's the foundation, and then uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise is based on OpenSUSE, and then <laughs> OpenSUSE is based on SUSE Linux Enterprise, and that doesn't yeah. really make any sense because how could they be the upstream and downstream? The <laughs> way circle it works, of
2: yeah, it's a
0: circle, circle of
2: love. <laughs> anyway,
0: the way it works is that OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is the upstream to SUSE Linux Enterprise, and then SU- SUSE Linux Enterprise is the upstream to OpenSUSE Leap. So they have multiple different branches in OpenSUSE to make this possible. And it's really interesting because there's a, the work is shared between the community and the company and all sorts of stuff. So it's just – it's a very – cool concept of being having derivatives and finding a way to integrate them more directly because originally open and SUSE were not necessarily interconnected with each other they they had some sharing of work and packages and things like that but they were independent e- even before like before tumbleweed even more so and then when tumbleweed came in it started becoming more and more connected and then now we're at a point where they're just an completely connected to each other, so it's yeah. a really interesting approach, so <laughs> it's kind of similar to how Koror did it, but they have it as separate in uh, terms of the work that OpenSUSE does, and I think it's super interesting, but earlier in the show, when we started this topic, Ryan said, I don't want to put my opinion out right now, so let's find out what his opinion is on this <laughs> particular topic, and see you know, where he goes. A
2: right here, yeah. A little, uh, a little bit,
0: a little bit. My mom's watching, Michael. Oh. Sorry, Ryan small, but I put him right. on the spot because it's necessary for the continuation of the show.
2: Well, I think it's... <laughs> I, that's pretty good, man. You sounded like one of those lawyers that talk at the end of a commercial relationship. Really right? That's right? pretty good. Uh, you know, I see why people are making the argument because as I follow the Linux community and people coming into Linux for the first time, and, and I'm fairly new to Linux myself, really in the scheme of things is people still are complaining and saying it's too confusing. People don't know what distro to start with. We, we started with an email that has many of these factors we're talking about right here, what we're discussing. Hardware enablement, using a distro that has a specialty purpose that people are trying to use as a regular distro, but can get confused because even the distro itself isn't really super clear and it's frequently asked questions of what its purpose is. And so I, I do feel like there is a problem there to address, but I also see Jill's side of it and your side, Michael, saying, hey, without these specialty distros, we would be further behind than we are today. There are so many things that they provide. And I can't help but think of OS in this circumstance and me getting the new Ryzen. And I was publishing everywhere <laughs> like I'm getting the new Ryzen and I'm going to try it on Linux and I'm publishing this on social media. I'm talking about it. And then I plug it all in and get go to install. I think I was using Ubuntu at the time and nothing boots. Nothing works at all. And then I tried a bunch of other distros and nothing worked. And I mean, I'm talking Arch, OpenSUSE, all this. Nothing was working. And then I tried PopOS and boom, it boots. Because they were the one company that fixed the motherboard issue that Ryzen was having at the time in the boot process mm-hmm. in preparation for that. So if that specialty distro, which I think you could classify PopOS as that, didn't exist, I would have looked really silly talking about Linux support for new hardware at that moment. So I mm. appreciate it. But this to me... When I think about how do you solve it, I don't think having more specialty distros out there is necessarily the right answer. Do we really need more and more and more and more? And where does it end? Maybe, but I'm not sure that's where I want to go with it. I'm thinking about standardizing foundational elements across these distros. Hmm. To me, it's silly that things like uh, hardware enablement support are not across the board of distros. You shouldn't have one distro that doesn't roll hardware enablement, another distro that rolls it six months later, and another distro that waits a year, and another distro that doesn't care at all. I think you're not really an operating system if you can't put those things into action. Now, there may be certain cases where you have servers or businesses and things that want to restrict that, so there should be an option to restrict rolling any hardware enablement, but I think there should be a default Support built in. Accessibility should be standardized across distros. Very Audio nice on that one. should be yeah, st- should be that way with that things like pipewire. Package management, I think we're getting closer to, and I know this is a hot topic. They probably take an hour on its own, but in my opinion, flat packs of one. That's the universal package manager. <laughs> now, you, could, you could send an email to Michael at oh, <clears throat> comments not, at dot org, if you disagree works. with what I just said.
1: <laughs> Aww. But, I like app images. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, well, I think, I think okay. you know, having, <laughs> having a standard flat pack system is really important. And one <laughs> of the things that they're talking about in Steam Deck, and I haven't looked in to see how they're doing it, but they have these one-click install apps yeah. that they're doing. It's mm-hmm. true. And, yeah. and so, you know, they're, they're creating flat this. Yeah, of course. Right? And so, but they renamed it to one-click installs, which is pretty awesome because we all know about the one click install thing because it's highly advertised from all these other companies but it looks mm-hmm. like something super innovative that they've accomplished with that and it's immediately whether you're a linux user or a windows user it's immediately familiar to you mm-hmm. you don't have to know flat pack and it's this package manager that this one company creates but there's this other thing called app images and this other thing called snaps and this other thing like <laughs> no just one click install you get your apps boom you're done So I think there should be some standardization is what we should look at across the board. And a lot of these distros like to talk like, you know, they hate the wars that happen in the community. Like, oh, Arch is better than OpenSUSE or Ubuntu is better than Fedora. They hate that stuff. And they're like, hey, we work together on a lot of this stuff. Prove it that you work together by creating some standards some more across the board, and I think we would be in a better place as a Linux community.
0: Okay, I agree that their standardization would be a, a huge improvement, but I do think that there's already a lot of standardization. Like network manager is used by every distro that I can think of. So we off know the top it can be, be done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's tons of stuff. Like libinput is the input m- drivers for interacting with your mouse and keyboard and things like that. There's there's tons of uh, things that are standardized. I do think that it'd be really good to have more standardization. I mean, we kind of had that with audio when we had Pulse Audio being so popular, but it had the issue of not being able to do certain things, where that's why Jack came into play. And then we have now Pipewire has the potential of providing a solution for both of those things, which I mm-hmm. agree that Pipewire being a standardization across all of Linux would be amazing, and I think it should happen. The Flatpak thing is, is interesting because I do like flat packs. I think they're my preference of which one I would use in terms of universal uh, formats, but it's not really, that's not the only thing that needs to be standardized. And I will say, this is a, this is a argument that will never end. I can guarantee you. And that is the core native packages of a system, whether it's a dev package whether it's an RPM package, whether it's arches uh, tar.x or xz, whether it's eopkg, whether it's in, uh, zero install, whether it's uh, there, there's like 20 more I could go with. Mm-hmm. But the, <laughs> the point is, is to say that these package formats are, uh, they, they, they're they so different between each other that the application.
2: universal packages were meant to.
0: That, that solves the application layer. That doesn't solve the core layer, like the implementing pipewire. If everybody was using RPM, then they could just take the effort done on OpenSUSE and Fedora and bring in that and it would be a lot easier. But because yeah. of these different core essences, it makes that harder. So I think that the that the the idea of standardization is definitely valuable. I just think that there's also you know, some kind of, there's some barriers to make that possible. But I think yeah. that some of these parts, like the audio pipe wire stack, the uh, uh, accessibility for sure, there should be a lot more effort in accessibility. And, and there's a lot of a- aspects that you're talking about that would be, you know, monumentally valuable to the ecosystem if they were to do- be done. So I think that there's a, there's a value of saying, like when you said that I was on the side of more Linux specialty distros, I'm kind of in like the realm of both. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've am I'm got my feet dabbled in the water of both sides of these things. Don't get things. me
2: wrong. I love specialty yeah. distros. I'm the yeah. Garuda guy. The one I love <laughs> using these things. But I, I do see the other argument's point. I think taken at face value, a lot of people were quick to dismiss the idea that do sure. we need these specialty distros or that the, the core distros are – it's basically highlighting a failure in the core distros to provide certain features if these specialty distros have to exist – I think you can easily dismiss that, but then when you really dig into it and you see how confused people get in Linux, there is a need to change something there. Maybe it's not removing specialty distros. I don't think you can, number one, and just right. the open source nature of things, but maybe it is looking at things that we can standardize more across the board. And you gave some good points of things that have been standardized. So it can be done,
1: Yeah, it's
2: just, you know, we've got to work together a little more.
1: Yeah, we did it also recently with System D. It's now the universal standard. You oh, know, you're not where... supposed
2: to say that word, Jill. There's a lot yeah, of System D people who hate System not D. Not everybody likes System <laughs> D,
0: although it is yeah. pretty much the dominant me- method. If you're of mad doing... about Jill's yeah.
2: comment about System D, oh, send oh, your that... email to Michael at about, comments yeah, yeah, at yeah. destinationlinux.org. <laughs> yeah. Of
0: course, that was going to happen. <laughs> you know like the, the the steam deck is a great example of the specialty distro being an important piece because if we didn't have the ability to have specialty distros would steam os be existing would it be based on linux
2: would it be a thing that even they'd have the opportunity to build it. They probably wouldn't have. They wouldn't even launch Linux on the Steam Deck. Because the Linux is so customizable, that's why you see it in embedded systems. That's why you see it on the Raspberry Pi. That's why you see it being put in cars and in televisions and everything else because they can go in and specialize it so easily. Otherwise, it makes more sense for Steam to just make the Steam Deck work off Windows.
1: Well, you know, there's actually another very important reason why we need specialty distros and that diversity which makes linux great is we need lighter weight distributions for older hardware that mainline doesn't support just as for 32-bit machines you know distros such as antics bunsen labs q4os slacks peppermint tiny core linux and the list goes on and on puppy linux we need these distros to keep computers out of the landfill and to support older hardware industries, such as industrial and aerospace, where computers are typically much older, including 486s, and computers in third world countries <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> <In> developing countries.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, look yeah. at Free Geek, the, that charity that we supported Absolutely. and had on a while back. Yeah. Uh, they take a lot of these machines that people are throwing out. And it's amazing mm-hmm. what people throw out, by the way. like the some of this stuff is still valuable. I mean, yeah. it's still fantastic and still can work. Like they have
0: a broken hard drive and assume the entire system is broken. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah, I know. I mean, I benefit from it a lot on eBay, but especially laptops, with <laughs> not the charging port not working. That's my go to like easy, save a grand, fix an easy charging port and boom, you've got uh, you've saved $1,000 on a brand new computer. But uh, I agree, Jill. I think it's a very good point of the older support. But again, if you're looking at the counter argument here, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it, but they would say, hey, the core distros should be supporting this older hardware themselves. You know, they should and need to be a specialty away. distro for that. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, Well, I think Instead of taking okay. away 32-bit support, they should be adding it back in again. Okay, I yeah. actually completely disagree yeah. with
0: this part. Because but I think that specialty distros in terms of like 32-bit, it, it's good that those exist. But I mm-hmm. also think that they hold back an innovation because trying to to support technology that is not being made anymore. It kind of like makes it where we're not putting the effort into the 64 bit. So I, I'm okay with, I think the 32 bit packages should be available for people who need it for like the multi lib stuff, but the hardware support, you know, for some, for hardware that's like, you know, 20 years old, it's okay if it uses a twenty-year-old distribution because it's not like mm-hmm. you're going to be using like the latest. You're not expecting the latest and greatest with that kind of hardware. So I do think it is important to you know move forward with the technology as much as possible without leaving behind you know relatively older hardware. But not like there has to be a
2: cutoff. Yeah, yeah. At a certain yeah. there point, has to right? be a certain. But and, plus, and it's like Jill goodness. storing her passwords on a floppy disk. Yes. at some point, it's exactly. so obscure that it's actually safer for Jill. To use that old technology, because nobody's <laughs> going to know how to hack it, or the floppy yeah.
1: drive controller was a uh, driver was uh, recently deprecated of some of the distros, and I was sad about it. Yes, uh, well,
0: it but, is, uh, it's very important yeah. for people to have the uh, specialty distros <laughs> for the 32-bit support, and to make sure that Jill's museum continues to exist and yeah. function. Also, <laughs> you need to put that on your checklist when you're making
2: specialty distros. Does it help Jill? That is
0: important. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to keep Gills Museum alive. I think one of the best examples of a specialty distro was special to me when I started in Linux as well as Ubuntu Studio. Yeah. And, oh, you know, an as, awesome as coming into Linux and having no idea, I, I didn't have anybody I knew who used Linux at all. And so I had no concept of what programs were open source or what was out there. And a lot of the stuff, as you'll see in my 30 Days of Linux videos, I had no idea what I was talking about. And, Plain out said, I had no idea what I was talking about. But Ubuntu Studio had all of that stuff prepackaged because I knew what Mm -hmm. I needed to do. To do the series, I needed to be able to video edit. I needed to do some audio recordings. I needed to be able to hook up my mixer and make sure that it works and my microphones And because I had semi-professional equipment. I needed to do all of those things, but had no guide on where to start. And then I see this distro Ubuntu Studio that's like, hey, if you're doing video, audio, editing, mixing, use this Mm -hmm. distro. Made sense to me, clicked it, installed it. And I had all the stuff that I needed, Caden Live and things to do my video editing, and I could get started right away. And without that, I don't know that I would have stayed. It could have been one of those things that kind of just was like, oh, this is too difficult. I'm out.
1: Well, it's interesting that you brought Ubuntu Studio up. It's it's the one that I have my students uh, first use Linux on. Because of that reason, all the graphic apps are already there and installed and easy to use. But what's unique about Ubuntu Studio? It's not only you, can you download the ISO, but you can install the pack, Ubuntu Studio package within uh, right. Debian or Ubuntu. So it, it's kind of a sweet in in between, isn't it?
0: <laughs> I think <laughs> it only works with the like. I, I know that they officially only recognize it working with Ubuntu flavors.
1: Yeah. yeah, I actually did get some of it working in Debian before,
0: but... Well, that's cool, that's yeah. cool. I, know that, I, I But was the other like, flavors, If no. you want to try it out, yeah. this is more like they <laughs> officially acknowledge that it works here, but it might work other places too. Just,
2: just yeah. don't assume tried, it but... will. You know, that's, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I love that the Ubuntu Studio team did that. I mean, yeah. that was cool. a bold yeah. move for them because they essentially had this niche thing that they were doing, but they wanted to make sure everyone could benefit from all the audio work and simplifying jack that they did and things. And so they packaged it so any distro yeah. within the Ubuntu family could use it. And that's a very, I don't know, that's a, just a very open source thing to do. It's Absolutely. pretty it awesome. It is. You know? Very cool. And
1: and before uh, Ubuntu Studio did it, uh, GNU Step did that. In fact, yeah. it, they they make one of my favorite live CDs because it runs Window Maker. <laughs> so of course you can inst- install all the good, good news step packages and Window Maker, you know, in the package within uh, Ubuntu derivatives and Debian. <laughs> so that's
0: that's very cool. that's very yeah. cool, and I think it's really interesting about the whole you know the idea does a specialty distro cause confusion because mm-hmm. Ryan actually had benefit from that specialty distro yeah and and in some cases I do think there there are there are things that are caused confusion with this it totally happens but also there's a potential for it to make it easier for people if they find the right specialty distro mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing but I have oh. a, a a perspective that I'm going to offer that I think is kind of um let's say kind of crazy so it's a Michael perspective. Of because course. That, exactly. You had to say. exactly. Yeah. You've you've defined it perfectly. <laughs> yes. So I have a different idea of what could be done for this kind of topic for the specialty distro. How okay. about we go the exact opposite route of standardization? Not try to make everything into smaller amount of distros, not make to but to have a lot more distros. Okay. The more se- the better. <laughs> I know it seems a little bit crazy, Ryan. <laughs> a little bit. But I think it has potential. So give give it give me a second. <laughs> Ryan, you joined the Linux community about five years ago, right?
2: Yeah, something like that.
0: Okay. So the reason I was asking you is because there was a service around the time that you joined that was discontinued, so you might not even heard of it. Have you heard of the, uh, the service SUSE Studio? Uh, yes. No. <laughs> okay. So that's perfect then, because SUSE Studio is super interesting. It was a service that allowed you to build your own derivative of OpenSUSE. You basically mm-hmm. opened up a web app awesome. and you filled out the form that you want. And then you said, okay, I want to name it this. I want it to have this logo, this branding. I want it to have these features of the distro. I want to have this, these, this tooling here, this file system, all these sorts of things. And you just go through this form and fill it out. And then you go, okay, now build my distro. And you click the button and it. Build yep, you a ten distro. minutes. You yeah. are kidding me. Not kidding. No. no, no Where is awesome. this? Why is this not I, <laughs> a thing still? I don't know.
2: This really existed. Yeah. Did it
0: work yeah, well? It was great. Yes,
1: it worked great.
0: I built my yeah. own uh, m- customized plasma version. Seriously, with this. my mind's yes. blown. Why yes. is
2: this not a thing still? Why did I, yeah. it go away?
0: I don't know. <laughs> Somebody I don't know. help. So, Sousa made the decision to discontinue it, unfortunately, but I, I do... Uh, th- one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is because I wanted to promote... The, to, hey, Susa, bring it back, please. S- Sousa Studio was such a super cool concept like I put some a visual on it to kind of show you like you just go to this website and you just start the process of building the thing and Sousa studio was really powerful because you could build your own distribution but you could customize it like uh, so many ways you could do it so you could have the built-in customizations and then you could start innovating on your own so if you wanted to you know build your own version of your distribution that tried new things like tried new uh, components or whatever you could Could start, but the core is also updated and managed by
2: Suse, and and that Mm -hmm. that makes it so much powerful. You know, a destination Linux distro that we could create with the Suse Studio. And when you're picking your desktop, it doesn't actually give you a choice; it just has my face and your face. (laughs) <laughs> and then they have to know by listening to the show which desktop environment's going to get installed based yeah. on picking <laughs> that face. Then. I love that. You know, that's, that is like the that. reason, yeah. so, so You need yeah. to bring back Susa Studio. Oh. That would be Just so good. Just that alone. Yeah. I but,
1: actually used Susa Studio for a job. Someone needed a web kiosk. So I used nice. SUSE Studios. It was so easy. Because back back in the time that that was made, it was really hard to create your own distros. Some of the tools out there weren't really refined yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a little more challenging. And I mean, I arguably, it it's still
0: kind of difficult. <laughs> yeah. it, it is. Yeah.
1: I had done it with Ubuntu and Debian and, and made some specialty, my own specialty distros. But it was so easy with the studio. It, <laughs> oh, oh, my yeah. gosh. I, I'm
2: blown awesome. away by that uh, that concept because I feel like it's the... It's almost an in-between answer to both sides. You exactly. Yeah. Some standardization yeah. that way, but you also have the customization to build things that you want in there. I, I just, I really, I'm blown away that that existed and I didn't know about it, and that it's not here now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That well. is beautiful
0: to me. There are a couple of reasons why, but I think it's mostly like a technical issue of why it doesn't it, but not that they couldn't be done it's just like there was some issues with the way they with the way they were moving you know the, the distro and the way that the susa studios worked and i think the people some of the people who were working on it like left the company or something like that but the, the susa studio is such a powerful tool but the reason i was bringing it up is because yes it's like a it's a hybrid of the concept of you know standardization because you're standardization uh, on a framework that allows you to build more stuff and what's cool about Sousa Studio is that it allows you to build not just you know, you could build server distros, you could build desktop distros, you could build stuff that had live CD, live USB support, and all sorts of stuff. It was really cool. So the idea that I had was, what if there was a, like a framework built like SUSE Studio to make derivatives that could be built easier, and then the core essence of it is managed by this framework, and then all the innovation and all the stuff like that is been on, is like put on top, and then you also have the ability to backport that all into the main core of the distribution, and you could have, I mean, like. Every every family of these distros, like all the core families, could do it. So the foundational distros like uh, Sousa Studio could be one. Fedora Factory could be one.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't have Go other ones say it, for other ones. Arch. Uh, so <laughs> um, well, no, I mean Arch could do it in a sense. Yeah, yes, sure. I suppose. Yeah. But think about like patterns. That OpenSUSE has. Patterns are so powerful. If you're not familiar with patterns and yes, it allows you to essentially install mm. a suite of certain types of apps. So if you coupled this this build system with the uh, pattern system and you were ha- to have things like uh, pen testing patterns, gaming mm-hmm. patterns, um, studio patterns for video editing and those things, then you could customize your distro so that it's perfect for your workflow i think that would be pretty amazing i love it i love the idea i want it Mm -hmm. bring it back now you know Mm -hmm. SUSE creates some of the coolest things they do out there open build system i mean there's so much that you can credit back to them that they do this is one of their ideas they need to bring back but one thing before we go i want to talk about is should specialty distros be obligated to contribute back upstream this is a big complaint I Ooh, see yeah. happening out mm-hmm. there, is that there are the specialty distros out there, not all of them, some of them contribute back, but there's a lot of them out there that kind of do their own thing, they'll fix some stuff, but they don't send it back upstream. Should they be required to? Should we, as a community, oh. make them feel a little guilty for not doing that? So that's an mm, interesting question.
0: question. And I think that the answer to that is yes and no, because of the, um, the nuance of, involved at in a different distro foundational distros so with if you create a distribution that is you know um you know some distributions don't want the stuff being upstream some of them do like you know and also i I guess it depends on like what you mean the upstream for so there's some distributions that do kernel changes but they don't submit the kernel changes to the upstream of the kernel but Mm -hmm. you know there's also distributions that arch has a particular way of doing things so the derivatives of arch You know the stuff trying to push back to upstream that Arch wouldn't really want it because it doesn't apply to what they what their their style of doing things. And similar to Ubuntu, like if you have a derivative of Ubuntu, it's kind of hard to push stuff back up to Ubuntu. But if it was more of like uh, they use GNOME and they make changes to GNOME and they want to push stuff back up to GNOME, and they're not even attempting to do that, or the kernel itself, or the audio stack, or something like just components in that sense then I do think that that would be something that they should be doing. So I think they should be obligated, but I also think that there's kind of like a a barrier depending on what distro that they're based on. So they should be
2: obligated to try, at least. Yes,
0: that's it. Obligated to try. If if there's a way that they, there's a stopping point that makes them not able to do it, fair enough, but definitely obligated to try. And also, if there are Stopping points. Maybe consider distribution base that doesn't have those things. Like OpenSUSE and Fedora are super welcoming to their, you know, the derivatives.
1: It also has to do with manpower. I mean, a lot of the, the smaller distros are developed by one person. <laughs>
2: and yeah, yeah, that's they true, They have too. a hard time. Which is why yeah. Sousa Studio and
0: Fedora Factory <laughs> and oh, et cetera, et cetera, would be amazing to uh, exist. Also. Is Fedora Factory
2: a thing? Is no, a it's
0: thing? not. It should be, but it's you not. You created
2: the best name for it already. Fedora that. Factory is dope, man. Yeah. Yes. If y'all
0: want it, you, uh, you're you welcome to take Fedora Factory. It is yours. Oh, I gift it to you. Love it. Make it, please. Uh, but Red Hat did make something I talked about in Twill a couple Yeah months ago, uh, they made a, an image builder for RHEL, so you can kind yeah, of build Neil, your own RHEL sort Neil of thing. Neil just
1: mentioned that in chat. and Oh, nice. Yeah, and Michael, I even saw a web webpage that said they were going to bring be bringing um, SUSE Studio to Web Builder, and that was like a couple years ago.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if, if I know that SUSE Studio <laughs> Express sort of works, but it's not really the same thing. And But it'd be really cool if they kind of did this approach where even if they – I mean, with OpenSUSE and Fedora, they're kind of similar, and they could maybe work together to make this work as a framework system. I don't know. But I think that this would allow the specialty distros to thrive and be as many as you want and also not have a negative impact by being so many because they could pull everything back into the core stuff, which – to me, I think that's the best of both worlds. You have mm-hmm. as many specialty distros if you want, but also you get all the benefits of of having the core value work being done. So think about it, Sousa. Think about it, Red Hat, yeah. and maybe Canonical you. if you want. Think about that too. <laughs> you know, it would be awesome. And yeah. uh, if you, and I'll come up with names for all of the ones like Sousa Studio. You already got <laughs> it. Great Factory, job. Fedora Factory. I love Fedora me. Factory. I came up with that one, so you can have that. And if Arts any other architect. Oh, boom. That's neat. Uh, yeah,
2: right,
0: architect, boom! Or it's architect. Architect. Oh man, that's good. There, we I we like could that. do it. You know, we we're, yep. as a, we'll brainstorm for these ideas. For everybody who wants to do yeah. all the foundation industry yeah. wants to do it. You know,
1: Ubuntu uptime. <laughs> I was trying to think of one for Ubuntu. Ubuntu's <laughs> the hard one. I
0: don't know. Yeah. we'll come up
2: with something. But it's a hard one. So I guess to wrap this up then, I think the points we have established Mm -hmm. that people are making about there being too many distros and the specialty distros kind of make that worse. I think we've said there's some validity to the argument, but ultimately we've proven that the specialty distros need to exist, but Mm -hmm. that there should be another solution that we're looking towards as a community and through standardization and also maybe creating more customized installation options for these distros so there's not a need as many of these specialty distros, and I think we settled that these distros that are specialty distros should at least try to contribute back yeah. to them. But when you talk about standardization, there's one thing, I mean, people will disagree in communities about everything, but there's one thing I'm going to mention that should be standardized across everyone's machine and nobody will disagree at all, and that's Bitwarden. Absolutely. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. This is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. They provide you the tools to store all your passwords in a secure vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill them in for you. You can access your data across many types of devices, whether it's a web browser, using your mobile apps, desktop applications, even on the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption as well. And they also have third-party services that audit to make sure that this open source project is as secure as possible. What we need you to do is go right now to bitwarden.com slash to get started. And I mentioned you can get started for free but you can also check out the premium account, and it only costs $10 a year and comes with all kinds of amazing things like a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step logging with YubiKey, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, priority customer support, and so much more. Head to bitwarden.com slash DLN to check it out now. We want to thank Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So I saw something really interesting in the news this week that caught my attention in a great way, I think. We've all mentioned that Intel has continued to be an amazing partner on this show for Linux from the beginning till now. They're always one of the first companies to get their drivers in the Linux kernel. So if you have the latest Intel processors or latest Intel equipment, they're generally very quick to roll that out with Linux support. One of the reasons we love Intel and this week, they're in the news because they're purchasing Linux-tronics. Lin-tron- Linutronics? Linutronics, linux I'm not sure how to know. say that one. I, yeah. think it, I think it is Linutronics. Linutronics, I think, it is. I think so. Kind of a cool name there, Linutronics. Yeah. It's fun. Um, I think they're mainly going for the employees here based on the way they worded the skilled employees there. And they are extremely skilled. In fact, they contribute a lot to Linux. The CTO, Thomas, has been the principal maintainer of x86 architecture mm-hmm. in the Linux kernel. Uh, the company is the architect of pre-empt RT, or real-time, and the leaders for industrial Linux implementations. This is something where Intel has decided to spend a good chunk of money at a time where they have a lot of competition coming at them. They've been definitely thrown off their game with AMD and some of the things that they've done there. Um, but Intel's doing a lot of interesting moves. We talk about it a lot on Hardware Addicts in one of the recent episodes where we kind of go through all the moves Intel's making I didn't see this one necessarily coming. I think this is really interesting. They're making a big investment in Linux. Michael, what do you think about Intel mm. wanting Linutronics? Why do they want them? What are they going to do with them?
0: Well, mm-hmm. I think this is really good, and I think there's a lot of potential for what this could mean. And I, But I'm, I'm really hopeful about this because... I, I, a lot of people think about when the company is acquired by another company or a much larger company, in this case, like Intel, which is a pretty big company, uh, they, they're kind of worried about the acquisition might end in a bad, you know, taking stuff proprietary and whatever. But uh, Intel is, they've been a participant in the open source community for a very long time, and they've been good stewards of the community for the most part and things like that. But I think that the most interesting thing about this is that Linutronics is real value is the people in the, in the company, not necessarily like uh, products that they could turn into proprietary or whatever. It's the people that are there because they are such skilled developers and and that kind of thing. And uh, so I think that that's a really the key reason why they're doing it. And it's really hard to turn a person proprietary. So I think we're, we're good there. But the thing that it's interesting about it for me is that last year uh, thomas thomas gleeksner the uh, he the p- person who develops uh, preempt rt did a presentation about preempt rt and at the end of it talked about the funding for the the project saying that the fund the funding is always a challenge and development and maintenance is currently stalled due to a funding gap and the gap needs to be closed to ensure mainline integration and the part that's important about this is to have real-time support that's what the rt means is real-time support in the linux kernel would be great and in back in 2020 they tried to do it but it wasn't merged into the mainline kernel because there was a lack of funding so with linutronics being part of intel now we could maybe see an influx of funding in this project. And one of their first efforts, I would assume, would be getting the real-time patches upstreamed into the kernel. And I think there's a ton of benefit for that happening. So I'm I'm very hopeful about this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Jill, yeah. what could this mean in your mind for Linux growth overall? Is this something that's going to help the desktop, you think? Or is this more for IoT-embedded devices and things?
1: Well, uh, desktop too, because they do work work on the x86 code but actually one of the largest sectors for the growth of linux is just that embedded the embedded industrial sector mm-hmm. and with you know all the huge demands for the internet of things embedded systems on edge computing artificial intelligence to name a few this can actually help prepare linux for the future and Linutronics' work with the real-time Linux kernel for the industrial sector and embedded computers can help achieve this because it's optimized and hardened for, for those systems. And that's very important. And we need, you know, the, the more work on that, the better for Linux's growth, especially in that sector.
2: Wasn't there some, like, wannabe content creators or podcasters or once-a-time video content creators that were like, oh, Linux is dying or something like that. It's interesting when you see stuff like that and then you see all this news (laughs) of like these companies pouring millions and billions in dollars of acquisition into Linux and then you got these... Clickbaiters trying to uh, get people to think otherwise out there. I don't know why they're
0: saying those making those videos or talking about that. Like, it's such a nonsensical thing because not only like Linux has been growing since its inception and it's been growing at a very good rate, especially considering it was started as a community effort. And then, you know, companies got involved in making stuff based on Linux and then, you know, decades going and it gets becomes dominant in so well every sector of computing other than the desktop. And then there i guess i don't i guess they mean the linux is dying on the desktop or something i don't i still don't even know what that means cuz it's actually growing yeah. there too so it's I, growing, don't, yeah. I don't i don't know what they mean
2: you know, i know what they mean clickbait clickbait yeah yeah, yeah they un- just un-
1: clickbait yeah unfortunately that
2: clickbait ends up turning into emails to me of hey look at this person running uh, their mouth about things yeah. and i have to answer why they're they're all wrong which makes me have to watch the video which means i can't get those 5 minutes of my life back but in any case i <laughs> yeah. think This is really uh, awesome to see Intel continuing to invest in Linux in a big way. They've done so many things for Linux over the years. I, I love Intel and I love the things that they do for the open source community out there. And I'm glad to see they're picking up these maintainers here, these very talented employees. And it'll be interesting to see what they can do with this. I do think this is probably completely geared towards the enterprise, but that doesn't mean we don't get some fallback advantages Mm -hmm. from that for us desktop users so it's just cool to see and intel's doing some really cool stuff again you gotta check out hardware addicts because they're doing some really cool stuff in the gpu realm as well and i know a lot of people just want a gpu they don't even care what the name on it is um so there's another competitor coming in the gpu market that's very serious about what they're doing for uh potentially gaming and other things out there so might want to check that out but intel's doing some big pushes in the gpu world
0: you
1: know what ryan i was just thinking about that with the 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 coming of the Intel GPUs, having a real-time Linux kernel to work on the Intel GPUs that are are intended for workstation and server is actually very important.
2: Good point. Yep. That definitely could be one of their obligations there. Because they're investing in GPUs in a big way, and why not? I mean, we need more companies producing GPUs out there for sure, so very also,
0: exciting. Um, yeah, they're even they're investing in more architecture stuff because the Intel mm-hmm. they joined the RISC-V Foundation a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the RISC-V. Woohoo! Yeah. There's a lot of potential. I think Intel is doing a lot of cool stuff because you know we used to be kind of talking about Intel. You know, it wasn't really going much. They weren't really challenging themselves. They were kind of. They had doing terrible like the leadership, and
2: they changed their leadership. That's, yeah. that's what it boils down to. They had terrible leadership there for a while. They changed it, and now Intel's really coming back in a big way, but their employees were always awesome and their employees always have supported open source. Um, but they had some bad leadership there for a minute. Yeah.
0: So I, am mm-hmm. excited to see what happens with this and also what Intel does next, because so far they're, you know, they're hitting it out of the park many times, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. actually pretty recently, multiple times too. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> <but up Intel. laughs> yeah.
1: The valve steam deck is officially out and is shipping now. Woohoo. But I
2: haven't got my email and it's all about <laughs> me right now. And I want my email. <laughs> I know I want my Steam
0: Deck. <laughs> I, I haven't got mine either. Well, and I for agree. those of
1: us who were lucky Give and me. able to reserve one last year, we should be getting an email soon from Valve to purchase oh. it. Like the Q one emails and the Q two, which a lot of us seem to be in. I I was on a Q one, so maybe I'll get mine a little sooner. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So it's but, like, it, yeah. it's kind of funny how they do the <laughs> queue system because, like, however you, however fast you were able to get into the system, it's when what you get into, like the placement. But yeah. then there's like periods of people who are like five minutes apart, and you know. There's like months difference months between apart. those five minutes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, they said uh, Q1 was going to be um, through March, and then Q2 should be receiving their emails in April. So that that was good to hear. But I'm impatient,
2: Jill. <laughs> I want it yeah, now. I know.
1: <laughs> and so yeah, the Steam Deck is officially out, and you can reserve one right now at at three hundred and ninety nine dollars starting, which is a great price. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we are actually so excited for what this means for Linux. You know, the reviews are already coming in, and people are really loving this device. It's going to be huge for the Linux ecosystem system. For one, the Steam Deck... Handheld portable device not only has more games available at launch than any other handheld in history and competes with the likes of the Nintendo Switch, but can also be used as a gaming Linux gaming computer. Just hook up a monitor, keyboard and mouse to the Steam Deck and use the Arch-based Steam OS with the KDE Plasma desktop. That makes oh, me
2: happy. What was that?
0: Arch-based? <laughs> really? Wow. Oh, what was yes. that? Plasma-based? Really? Great.
1: And, you know, this the, the Steam Deck can potentially put Linux in the hands of millions of users and the average consumer, maybe even more so than the Raspberry Pi. So th- this is very important. I it may not be more than the Raspberry Pi,
0: but I, I don't know because there's a potential. There's a lot more people who are potential interested with in the it. consumer.
1: In it, yeah, yeah, because the Raspberry Pi is for tinkerers and the education yeah. system, and
0: more and people might those... touch it because it yeah. has more appeal to the. Listen, I've mentioned
2: it many times. Yeah. Gaming is bigger than music and movies combined as an industry, so it's going to bring a lot of people into this, and they might even not. They might not even realize that they're using a Linux-based distro when they're. Uh, on there using the system at first but yeah. then when they dock it and they've got this desktop they're probably like what is this this is awesome uh, uh but you know i did hear some reports too about how excited gabe is about this that reportedly yes. he's out there hand delivering these in seattle the first to the first yeah. batch orders oh, Do you wow. imagine him coming to your doorstep <laughs> someone, has, someone has so a picture funny. of him on their ring camera and i'd be like i'm such a <laughs> geek i wouldn't even know what to say i'd be like you're cool you want to kool-aid or something i don't know what i would say to him <coughs> oh. that's
0: that actually is probably as awkward as the interaction would be so yeah. I, and i think i would be the exact same way like yeah. you're you know you're gabe newell right <laughs> He's like, yeah yeah i'm pretty sure you know that just take okay. your steam deck and go yeah
1: <laughs> lord gaben as we call him <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and there has been so much wonderful development right now because of the steam deck and the push of, of valve i mean they are nailing it you know, when, when someone, even one of the YouTubers like Linus Tech Tips, when he had and has issues with some of the software that he, he re- recently reviewed it for its, uh, the preview software for the Steam Deck and found some issues. And, and Valve is working with him to fix those issues. And he was very impressed by that with the, the back and forth with the community um, and the company. Mm-hmm. And that there is going to be success with this device because of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it will grow and develop. And one of the things Valve just recently did is they created a new great on-deck webpage, which highlights the games that pass all the compatibility checks with Proton and that run beautifully on the Steam Deck. And it just and made me a- want it. Yeah, more. great first. They did start. such yeah. a great
2: job on this tool, by the way. But when I saw all the games I have that are compatible with it, yeah. I was just like, oh, come on, now I want it more.
1: <laughs> yeah, now I want it
2: more. Like exactly. a child and with this thing. Yeah.
1: Something I'm really excited about. So on on this coming Tuesday, March 1st, Valve is re- releasing a free-to-play game in the Portal universe called Aperture Desk Job. And no, people, this is not Portal 3. <laughs> But it is a game within that universe. And according to Valve, the game was designed as a free playable short for the Steam Deck, walking players through the controls of the PC handheld. How and brilliant. what a better way that. to yeah. do it to, than to use yeah. the Portal Universe. It's such a good
2: idea. <laughs> is, Portal Universe is perfect. This reminds me of PlayStation 5 did this with their new controller. Yeah. I know it's another one of those things a lot of people haven't been able to see because there's no availability on them. but I was lucky enough to get one of those systems and they have a game that comes with the PlayStation that essentially is just to learn how to use the controls and all the features of it. but it's still a fun game. Like I spent more time yeah. in that than probably other uh, games out there. I love that they're thinking along those Very lines cool. though. they're treating mm-hmm. this like um, they're treating this like you would expect them to for something yeah. that they want to be extraordinarily successful.
0: I think that it's what's interesting about this is like, I'm so excited about getting the Steam Deck, yes. But Mm -hmm. what's the most impressive is that Valve is acknowledging the type of uh, target audience they're going for to all degrees. So mm-hmm. if you just want to get the Steam Deck and just play games, you can easily use the interface and get your game and install it and run it and that's it. And if you want to, you know, kind of benchmark things, they have like on-screen heads-up displays with CPU temperatures and all these other things that give you the details of like you could troubleshoot how far you could push the system and then try to like mm-hmm. see if you can improve it and optimize it. And there's uh, there are people who are doing that with the prototype versions and stuff like that. So... I, I think that Valve is really just like we, we've kind of been positive to Valve in the past because they've made, you know, they brought Steam to Linux. They, they deserve it. They made Pushing Proton. Linux. Yes, yeah. th- they deserve it. But the, my point is, is that they continue to just blow my mind with ways case. that they are, you know, em- embracing the culture, uh, and not even just the
1: exactly the, like
0: the they're they're like the, the fact that they they're making the possibility to making re- getting repair parts and you know fixing things yourself and showing you that how to take my it apart heart right mm-hmm. there yeah you know it, it, it's so impressive what they do in their,
2: yeah everything they've thought of and and the biggest game of the year right now bar none this is the biggest game everybody is so hyped about it Woo-hoo. And if you're a gamer. Petrus? period, <laughs> you are you are talking about Elden Ring. This is like the game everybody's A- been waiting for. It's considered like the Skyrim of this year. Uh-huh, uh, it's an yeah. open world um, game like Skyrim, but of course it's more like from the Dark Souls creators in there. So everyone's mm. been talking about it in my circles. Uh, I think Steam had some record-breaking users, amount of users the day that it released, uh, which was this week. It's just absolutely fascinating. Here's the best part. Not only does it work in Linux, right? But people are reporting that have the Steam Deck that the performance issues that people are having on Windows, which is one of the problems, it's this random stuttering that's happening, Mm -hmm. doesn't happen on the Steam Deck at all. So it's smooth sailing. So Elden Ring, most popular AAA title out there this year, working day one, in Linux, and on the Steam Deck, this is the type of thing that you want to see if you want to be very successful. And now you can take Elden Ring with you anywhere you want on the road. And Michael, even uh, the kid games you play, like Rocket League, you can put that on your Steam Deck. (coughs) You
0: you, you call it a kid game just because you can't play it and it's too difficult for you. I get it. I get it. it. It's fine. It's fine.
2: I don't (laughs) understand (laughs) Rocket cards. Oh, to be I'm fair, Rocket loving- League
0: is kind of a is a is a yeah. great game, but also there's di- there's so many different like skill ceilings and stuff like that. Where I play this game, and then like people look at me going on the stream and like, oh wow, he's really good. And then I play people who are like in the massive tier, and I look mm. awful in comparison.
2: Like it's it's it's. <laughs> I love watching game. you play though; it's pretty cool. I'm uh, never going to get there myself.
1: I can't wait to play Trackmania on it. I've really gotten into Trackmania. I've and, heard and that's about a, you geeking
2: perfect-
0: out on Trackmania. Yeah. yeah.
1: Have There's a lot try... of games that are coming out
0: that are, like, perfect for the Steam oh, Deck. Oh, gosh. You know?
1: Portal. I can't wait.
0: Because yeah.
1: Portal, to me, has always, you know, been a WASDA keyboard and mouse game, and apparently the experience is beautiful on the Steam Deck, so yeah. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yep. <laughs> I've always played it on a controller. I, maybe that's just a oh. weird thing that I've done, but i because I, yeah. I, I first got the, um, when I first played Portal, it was on an Xbox with the Arndtons.
1: Oh, okay. okay. So
0: maybe that's why I always, I always just yeah. defaulted I, I, to the controller, so... That's interesting, because I, I, I'm definitely excited to play all
2: sorts of games, especially mm-hmm. Rocket League, because obviously I'm going to play Elden Ring.
1: Yeah, ob- obviously. Definitely <laughs>
2: Elden Ring. All right. Well, if you're, you're not on the list to get your Steam Deck just yet, we do have some mm-hmm. software you can check out right now in the Software Spotlight. And this week, it comes from our discourse forum from a user Linux2All. They said, hello, everyone. I would just like to recommend... QM Play 2 as an amazing alternative multimedia application. It's lightweight, fast, and full of many features, including Vulkan support, QVid support, video filters, radio, playlist tree view, visualizations, let me take a breath, full theme customization, just to name a few. I'd like to spread the word about this application because Mm -hmm. it deserves way more attention. First of all, thank you for spreading the word of the application because I feel like The community is so big, we have so much software now to play with that sometimes these applications can kind of get lost uh, under the radar when they build something really cool. Um, Now that it's on DL, by the way, mission accomplished, about getting the word out to everyone, so that's cool. (laughs) That Um, helps, yeah. (laughs) I did check this out, Q and Play 2, and I was blown away by this. When you first open it up, immediately impressed by the interface, I was immediately able to do something I wanted to do at that time. Which was to take a live YouTube video, put the stream into the video player and see if it would continue processing that live through this tool. And it did perfectly. And I was very, I was able to easily find where I needed to go, which to me is an example of a really well-done interface. It has an equalizer, incorporates YouTube DL. Of course, you have the internet radio. It's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. You've got mm-hmm. all these tools built into one thing. Is it for everybody? Probably not. Some people like the really simplistic, basic. Music player, or something like that, or media player. But man, if you want something that has everything, QM Play Two is pretty dope.
1: One of the things I I really like about it is how it shows the detailed info of the video and audio yes. uh, that or the stream you are playing in the right hand panel. That's very important to me as an as an as an animator and graphics artist. And it's just it's just nice to know those features and to to have them set up as a default. Uh, showing when you're playing the video instead of having, in most players, you have to go and look at, you know, info or preferences. <laughs> so yeah.
2: That's very cool. It's nice to have that. comes really important when you use something like Blender because Blender, yeah. you have to manually, if you're using it as a video editor, which my last two videos were all done in Absolutely. Blender just because I wanted to. Just because. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've been having a lot of fun learning Blender, but one of the things you have to do is manually set the frame rates and the resolution, uh-huh, whereas Caden yeah. Live and stuff will prompt you and say, hey, do you want to switch to 30 frames per second? that at 2k or whatever you're doing um blender you're gonna have to set it manually so you need to know and sometimes i have footage from reg- cameras different types of cameras so it's not mm, all because yeah. i have b-roll footage and then i have the main footage from my camera so i could have mixtures of different resolutions something that tells me what those resolutions are and what the frame rates are right up front in a player is very important as i'm moving stuff Absolutely. getting ready to move stuff into an editor
0: If anybody has any suggestions for uh, a software spotlight, we are totally open to that. Please feel feel you to like send an email to the comments at destinationlinux.org or you can check out the DLN forum. You can join the forum. You can do exactly what Linux 2 All did and post your suggestion on the forum in a thread and we'll have links in the show notes for that and how to get started and that sort of thing. So if you have something you want us to feature on the show, be sure to let us know on the forum. And also we have a tip of the week to tell you about. And so if you're new to Linux and you want to make a bootable USB drive, of course, that would be very helpful if you're new to Linux and want to get on Linux. You'll need some software to do that. There are many options for use for this kind of thing. But... If you're on Windows, there's, you know, a lot fewer options of this kind of situation. So, like for if you're on Windows like many beginners would be, the tip of the week this week is to let you know about some software that you can use to create bootable USB drives on Windows to ease your transition to Linux. So, there are three tools that I want to talk about. All three of them provide graphical user interfaces or GUIs, but they all have a different degree of difficulty. So, first of all, let's talk about Fedora Media Writer. Love which, it, mm-hmm. right? Despite Great. its name, it doesn't require you to install F- Fedora, and also it doesn't require you to use Fedora to actually use it. You could put, It mm-hmm. works with uh, Windows and every Linux distribution I've tried it with, so we're good all around on that. Uh, but while it also gives you the options to install like a recommend- recommended options for Fedora, you can use any distribution you want to make the beautiful drive with Fedora MediaWriter. Then there's also another option called Bolina Etcher. So Etcher is a really interesting, it's been around for a little while. Mm -hmm. What makes it cool is that it's very simplified. The process of doing it is very simplified. There are very few options. And in some ways that could be a negative to some people. In other ways, it's a nice feature because it is quite easy to use. It's like a four-step process or something like that. And then there's Rufus, Rufus is the last <laughs> t- tool I want to talk about because, well, it's it's a very powerful tool. It's mentioned a lot of tutorials and that sort of thing, but it does have a little bit of a barrier to entry because it's not as easy to use as the other two, and it has a lot more advanced options. So if you're interested in that kind of approach, you're making a bootable USB drive, then check out Rufus. So real quick to summarize, if you're on Windows and want to create a bootable USB drive of any Linux distro, then check out the tools that we've mentioned here, Fedora MediaWriter, Belina Etcher. Or Rufus.
2: So some things from Der Hans in the community. This is kind of like his segment, isn't it? He, he somehow <laughs> got his own segment on our show, which is pretty yes, awesome. Yes, he
1: did, Der Hans. Yeah, awesome. I love Der Hans. Uh,
2: but he <laughs> sends us each week a list of all of the Linux festivals and things going around in the area. So FOSS Asia is in April. That will be virtual, April 7th through 9th. And again, we'll have links in the show notes and things for you to check these out. Uh, Linux Fest Northwest is virtual this year, April 22nd through the 24th. Uh, PinguCon, PinguCon. PinguCon, there you go, <laughs> April 22nd through the 24th. Uh, Linux App Summit is virtual, April 29th through the 30th. Red Hat Summit, in person and virtual, May 10th through the 11th. And Scale, Woo-hoo! in person, live streaming and VODs on YouTube, July 28th. Through the 31st and Jill will probably be there. So that's the one to definitely try to attend this year. And she'll be wearing this hat hat. for those (laughs) watching video. It's a penguin hat. You won't miss it. Trust me. And you'll be able to know that's Jill there in the crowd. Very cute. (laughs) So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening. However you do it. We love your faces. Also, I want to mention the Destination Linux community is in over 120 countries now. One of those countries is Ukraine, and I want to mention that our hearts go out to all of our listeners and friends in Ukraine. We are with you, and so are our thoughts and prayers. Uh, we are here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, live at DLNLive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week, and we can't wait to see you in the chat. We also have our glorious patrons,
0: which get perks like the unedited versions of the shows, and they can also hang out with us in the patron post show, where we have our sixty thousand square foot digital stadium. Actually, there was an annex; we added some onto it, so now it's a seventy thousand square foot Woo. virtual Woo-hoo. stadium. Man. So there's so much great potential for for this. Yes, for this virtual stadium, you can you can join the skybox, or you could just hang out in the the stands that are, totally exist in this virtual stadium, and you could join that by going to destinationlinuxorg patreon to sign up and you get all these perks and especially like the hangout after the show is so fun you can join us and all the other patrons in the hangout so go to right now to destinationlinux.org patreon to become a patron also go to thedealinstore.com to check out some stuff because we have a ton of great stuff there. We have T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers. Uh, we got hats. We got so much great stuff. We even got coasters. And you know we got tons of great stuff there now at dealinstore.com because we have a new vendor that we have the, the merchandise being made with. And they are a great vendor. The quality has been so much improved. So check it out if you haven't seen it before or you've already got something you might want to get like a better, higher quality version. And, you know, check out dealingstore.com.
1: And make sure to check out all our wonderful shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and put your cowboy hats on and join our Saturday Linux user group Linux Saloon. So everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power open source and keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome
0: sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the
2: destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.
1: <laughs> Love.
0: I'm actually going to leave in the whole arg- uh, discussion of us with the editing stuff just because you did that. <laughs> yeah.
2: Don't think I don't notice you looking down at your little keyboard. Yeah, so I. Uh, so what's funny is that
0: you <laughs> were you you I did it at the timing That's that made awesome. you think that, but I was just prepping for the DigitalOcean ad. <laughs> That's
2: <laughs> no. I was no you weren't. I know I what you were doing. You were- you were trying to edit and Edited people you <laughs> are going to see through your lies Michael they're going to go on the forum they're going to post it right when i say it you d- and you, don't even, you don't even you
0: don't even see the people who are listening to this show live you get to know the information that i have this keyboard part of this this this, this half of this keyboard this is the edit Ryan half this part right here is the production half so he where's can't tell where's the
2: Jill part where's the yeah, edit Jill part I know.
0: It's so rare, it's not even on there. What are you talking
2: oh, about? Oh, come no. on!
1: Come on! <laughs> uh, oh, I think I get edited a lot more than Ryan.
0: <laughs> I can't tell Ryan anything about whether or not he's good at this, but, you know.
2: Yeah, we wouldn't want to compliment each other. Exactly. We've been friends what way fun too is that, long, right? To ever compliment each other at this point, it would just be weird. That's
0: exactly, it'd be weird. So I can't, I can't tell him good job at any, in any. It just, it actually feels like creepy. Like it, it yeah, it feels weird just to have those words come out of my mouth, even when I and I didn't even say it. I was just saying those weird words would be difficult.
2: Remember that scene in Step Brothers where they go and give each other a hug? Uh, with Will Ferrell yeah. still kind of punching him lightly, <laughs> like he can't just hug him. He has to. Uh. Still thinking about hurting them? That's what happens to me
0: and Michael. <laughs> and luckily, there's so much room for activities.
2: Yeah. So- <laughs> All, right, All right. Can we do the main topic? We got a show yeah, to We, do should, here. Probably, we should probably get... Yeah. Uh, we should... <laughs>